Hey, welcome back to the Let's Talk About God podcast. We are now on episode seven, which is just like hard to believe, honestly. Um, we were just talking about it like we couldn't even keep up with the numbers. Not that ep- not that seven episodes is a lot of episodes, but it's like, it's just crazy that we're like, we're into this thing. It's been happening for a while. Yeah, and you're right. It's, I mean, because we're recording every, you know, two weeks or whatever we record, and so... And you got everything else going on in the ministry. It's like, which one are we on? Yeah. And it's like, really? We've already done six of these, and now we're about to do seven and eight. And this is, I mean, it's cool. We're having fun, though. We're having yeah. a blast. It's been great. It's been really great. Yeah, for um, those of you who don't know, our studio is not a studio. It's just a table in the growth track room. So we just kind of show up and just, like, bring some notes, get some coffee, sit and relax, and talk to each other into these microphones. Yeah, but it works. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about is just sitting here talking about God. And um, uh, we always kind of look forward to these. I look forward to them, don't you? Yeah, it's like one of my favorite things that we do because we just get to just have a conversation about God, help people. Yeah, I love talking about theology. Yeah, and especially I want to put it at a level where everybody can understand it too because sometimes it can seem so far out there and yeah. deep and irrelevant. But what I've always believed is that doctrine— is incredibly relevant. I mean, that's true. And if it's presented correctly, it's very exciting. Mm -hmm. I mean, you should get pumped up and excited about it. Yeah, you should. Because at the end of the day, like what you believe determines how you behave. And so if you don't believe the right thing, or maybe you do believe the right, I mean, you know what I mean? Like whatever you believe is going to influence how you behave. And if you (laughs) meditate on it or explore it, you realize there are all these benefits that come with the doctrines. Mm-hmm. We're so blessed. And so when you begin to understand that, I think then it affects not just your behavior. I think it affect, can affect your worship. Yeah, It can affect your mindset. It can give you victory in the battle. When the enemy's coming against you, you can say, hey, wait a minute, this is the truth. Yep. You know, the devil says, ah, you're not saved. You say, wait a minute, I am saved because I've put my faith in Jesus Christ and been a recipient of God's grace. You're able to come back with doctrine and the devil can't fight that because he comes with lies. You come with truth. You always win. Yeah. Jesus told his disciples, there are, I think, kings and prophets who long to to know and to see what you're seeing right now. And so there have been people um, who've, who would have loved to know what we know, to see that fuller revelation of Jesus and what he's done for us and everything that we have right now through the whole Bible that we get to talk about and celebrate and live in today. They were looking forward to it. They wish they could know. So exactly, we are learning. Yeah, we are rich when it comes to the Word of God. Yeah, and truth definitely. Well, one more disclaimer today: pollen is in just full on pollen mode. So if you hear some sneezes, if you hear some sniffling, we're gonna ask uh, Coleman, our incredible sound engineer. Maybe he can he can pull it out, but we're going to make no promises. So just sniff and sneeze along with us because I know that you are struggling too in your car or wherever you're at right now. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we'll just go throw that out there. But hey, so today we are talking about, get ready for this big word, Wesleyan Arminian soteriology. Boom. We're just talking about how we want to make this practical for everybody, and we just throw out that name. You- you just used a $12 word. <laughs> what in the world are we talking about when we say we're talking about Wesleyan Armenian soteriology? Okay, let's give you your 
your Christiany, your super Christiany word of the day, the soteriology. Give me a definition. What is the most basic definition of soteriology? Well, soteriology is the doctrine of salvation. That's all it is. That's it. That's the simplest, about as simple as you can get. When you talk about soteriology, you're going to talk about God's saving plan for humanity. Yep, that's good. And so today, as we're talking about God's saving plan for humanity, how God does save us, we talk about soteriology. We said we're talking about Wesley and Arminian. What that just means is we're we're just given the perspectives that um, historically have been promoted by two guys, John Wesley and Jacob Arminius. And so that's why we just kind of like strung their last names together and then slapped a super Christian word on there to make it sound like we're geniuses. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what we're talking about today. And so from a Wesleyan Arminian perspective, from John Wesley and Jacob Arminius, our view of salvation um Let's just say in a, like in a nutshell, in a statement, is when we believe in conditional election. We don't believe that God has predestined, uh, you know, certain people to be saved, which means other people won't be saved, and that that is beyond their choice. That they have no free will in the matter. We believe that people are saved based on the condition of having faith in Christ. So it's not unconditional election where God unconditionally chooses you. It is conditional election, conditioned on your faith in Christ. And those two guys primarily promoted that um, in their life and in their theology. Now, how are we um, approaching this today before we really get into it? Um, First, we want to say this isn't a full defense of um, our beliefs. This isn't supposed to be the end-all, be-all um, you know, the, we're, there's no way we're going to be able to cover everything. Um, we're actually going to do a part one and a part two, so we're even doing two episodes. And even in that, um, this is truly just an introduction in what we believe. Two, um, this isn't Calvinism versus Arminianism. So Calvinism is like we just talked about is the belief that God has predestined certain people. He's just chosen certain people to be saved. They will be saved. It's sure, and it's beyond their will. Um, this isn't a debate in which we're trying to break down, um, you know, Calvin's beliefs up against our beliefs, if that makes sense. This is just Arminianism. We're just telling you what we believe. We're not trying to put it up against Calvinism and, um, you know, have some big arguments or anything like that. And then um, finally, if you know anything about Calvinism, you, you've probably met some people who believe this before. Even though this isn't a debate, obviously you're getting one side. Whenever we talk about this, whenever we talk about Calvinism and Arminianism and all of that, does God choose people or you know, do we have a say in the matter? Um, we always come at it in love. We always come at it in charity that we never want to cause division. Um, there's been enough arguments and fighting in the church when it comes to this. Um, and so we never want to cause fighting. Ultimately, this is a non-essential issue, meaning that it's not something like um, belief in the Trinity or the virgin birth or something that that is absolutely essential to the Christian faith. We can differ over this, and that's okay. Um, and then the contribution of people like John Calvin and Martin Luther and people like that who have promoted their theology um, we have a lot more in common with them than we don't. Um, so, for instance, Arminius, one of the guys we um, talked about, he considered himself to be Reformed, which is the category that Calvin and Luther were in. And Wesley said that he was within a hair's breadth 
of Calvinism, showing that he um, he agreed on a lot of things um, and disagreed on a small amount. So we're just coming at that in love and charity, unity. Yeah, and I mean, that's always the the context. Um, the older I get, I and I'm very apologetic, meaning I, I stand in defense of the doctrines of the Bible. I, it bleeds through in my preaching. Uh, but one-on-one or talking with people, um, you have to always grant that people believe different than you or they were taught different than you. What we hope is that today, if you are from a Reformed background, that you'll just listen and um, and study both sides and just listen because you might learn something today. Um, you might hear something you've never heard before. And <clears throat> while this issue may be non-essential, I think it still is critical mm-hmm. because in the church, at least in America, um, there's a strong Reformed theology within a lot of denominations and churches. And you and I both know there's been this push of what's been called a neo-Reformation. It's kind of a, a neo-Reformed theology that's come out. We won't get into that today. Um, and, and sometimes the thing you have to be careful with is there are excesses that happen and and um, you, you got to avoid excesses, and you got to make sure that you stay within the confines of Scripture. Well, that's what we're going to try to do today. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So as we begin to break this down, we're going to go in really just like we try and always do in a logical order of what do we believe um, as far as salvation, how does God save us, and we're just going to have each of these points just build off of each other and just have that discussion, show Scripture, um, that this is what we believe, this is why we believe it, and how does that affect our life? Um, I know we've talked about, we just talked about a lot of big stuff. We're talking about Wesleyan Arminianism and Reformation and Calvinism or using all of these words or whatever, but um, at the end of the day, this is practical for our life, and, that, and that's why it's critical. It may be not essential, but it's critical because whatever you do believe will ultimately influence how you live your life, and so we're going to show you how that actually influences us every step along the way. So let's just get right into it. When we begin to talk about salvation and how God saves us, first we want to affirm um, what both Calvinists and Arminians um, agree on. Not all Arminians, but a lot of them agree on, and that is the idea of total depravity. And so total depravity is the idea that because of sin, because of sin's enslavement, because of sin's corruption, on our own, we will never choose God just on our own volition, that we don't have the ability to choose something or to do anything good unto our own salvation, that we are just trapped in sin. And we know all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. It's affected all of humanity. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Um, Think back to the flood narrative. God wiped out the earth because he said all of their thoughts, every intent of their heart, it was just always evil. He's showing the, the complete corruption of sin. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says, um, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then Romans 6, 17 says that we were, speaking of those who are saved, we were once slaves of sin. So the Bible paints a, t- paints a, a pretty strong picture of being bound 
in sin. Yeah, and I like to think of the concept of death. When Adam was placed in the garden and he was good, um, because everything God made was good, he said, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, Eve ate the fruit, gave it to Adam. He ate it. They didn't die that moment. But what did die was their their spiritual state. Mm-hmm. Um, death is separation. So sin separated them. That's why God kicked them out of the garden. That was the symbolism that you cannot be in this holy communion with me in this paradise mm-hmm. because there's sin in your life. It separates. Now, thank God, God created, he killed two animals and covered them yeah. uh, and, and created covering for our sin. But that's the point is that there's death. So eventually Adam died a physical death, but there's a spiritual death. Paul in Ephesians 2, talking to believers, said, and you he has made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So when you talk about total depravity and, and the inability to, to come to God, it's because you're dead. A dead wow. person can't do anything. Yeah, the dead dead person can't respond. Can't, you're de- dead. Can't move, can't respond, can't do it. So you're spiritually dead. So it takes the initiative of God. That's what we're, we're saying here. It takes the initiative of God mm-hmm. uh, to come and to, to work on us. But that's the beginning point. And, and like you said, Calvin and uh, Wesley and Arminius all believe this. It, it's kind of the fundamental of of salvation is mm-hmm. you're dead in your trespasses and sins and um and you can't do a thing about it. That's yep. why God sent Jesus. You know, this is really important too, the relevance of this, Evan. I've seen a picture uh of a mountain. Somebody, you know, drew a mountain and they had these roads going up the mountain uh of all the different religions are the ways to get to God. And so we should honor all religions. All religions are equal because all these different roads Buddhism and Islam and Christianity and Judaism all go up to God. And it's just so, it's such a wonderful little picture. The problem is it's not true. Mm-hmm. Whoever created it, it's really great thought, but it's not true. Nobody can make a road that gets to God because we're totally depraved. That's why Jesus left the mountain to come down to us. Wow. Because he knew he had to take the initiative. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And we're going to get into that even greater. You're going to see a lot of recurring themes in this conversation, but I think you're right in that the, the reason total depravity is important is because it highlights truly, um, and this is where both sides just, just totally agree, it highlights truly the grace of God. For you're saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's a work of God. Um, that doesn't just start necessarily at the cross, but it starts, I mean, it just starts in God and his intentions that he has to pursue you. He has right. to reveal himself to you. He has appeared through your deadness, through your dead heart, through your depravity um, to reveal his truth to you. Um, and as we're going to talk about later, to restore a measure of free will for you to choose God um, because of our own sinfulness and because of our depravity. And and I would say, too, um, and maybe, maybe you're from a Reformed background, this is one of the things that um, consistently Arminians get accused of that we don't believe in total depravity. Um, that's called Pelagianism, and um, it's from a guy named Pelagius. And and so, we, you know, we just wanted to, to clear that up today that, hey, we, we totally and completely affirm total depravity and that it takes um, the initiation of God for anybody to be saved. But we'll, we'll clarify what we mean with that earlier or later, rather. But um, that is something that we do agree on. 
And it shows how much we desperately, desperately need God to come after us. And it sets up the point of since we're all depraved, since we're all sick in sin, we're under judgment. Um, we are at the mercy of God if he's going to save us or not, and we desperately need someone to do something. So if we're going to be saved, God better step in. And so the second thing that we believe is something that's called unlimited atonement. Once again, another one of those big words, unlimited atonement. Well, if you listen to our last, well, not our last, but our just two ago, three ago podcast on atonement. I can't keep up with no, it. I told no. you. Um, you know that atonement is just God reconciling God and man. It's bringing, you know, that at one minute, it's the forgiveness of sins. Um, and so um, when we talk about unlimited atonement, the reason that we clarify this, that once again, this is not a Calvinism versus Arminianism, but the reason we clarify this, Calvinism says that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for a limited number of people. That limited number of people is those who have been pre-selected, pre-chosen, you know, elected before the world, just based on 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 God's choosing. Um, and so, when Jesus died, he didn't die for the whole world. He didn't die for everyone's sins. He died for a limited amount of sins. Um, we believe that when Jesus died, his his death paid for the sins of the whole world. Now, that gift can't be applied unless you have faith in Christ. But his death paid for the sins, not just of those who God knew would choose him, but for the entire world to make way for them to be saved. We see that in Scripture. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Well, if Jesus hasn't covered your sins, um, God can't wish that all would reach repentance, because if Christ hasn't paid for your sins, you can't repent. 1 Timothy 2, 4, um, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Once again, um, if Christ hasn't paid for your sins, he can't do that. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Um, and then finally, um, the most clear, I think, in Scripture is 1 John 2, 2. It says, um, speaking of Jesus, he is the propitiation or the payment for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And that's it right there. Well, that one is because John is talking to a Christian audience. He's a Christian, and so he's saying Jesus is the—and by the way, propitiation means atoning sacrifice. Yeah, it means to appease the wrath of a god. It was a pagan term right. in reality. So, But you can say atoning sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So propitiation is the same thing. So we're talking about unlimited atonement. Yeah. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins— Okay, he's talking to us, the believers, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Yeah. I, I mean, you just cannot get any clearer picture than that. And then, Evan, there are other concepts. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul said basically just a simple little phrase, Christ died for all. Mm. To me, that scripture is so powerful. Christ died for you. That's just simple. Paul, there's no way you can twist that to make it say anything else. In the book of Acts, Paul said, God commands all men everywhere to repent. Yep. Now, it didn't just say the, the, the predestined or the preselected. It, God commands all men everywhere to repent. That's the heartbeat of God. And then I think about when Jesus was in Jerusalem and he wept over Jerusalem. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and, you know, I came to you time again. I wanted to take you like a, 
a mother hen takes the chick under its wings and you would not. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he's weeping. If if the people who rejected God that was predestined and that wasn't supposed to happen, why was he weeping over them? Yeah, he made the decision for them essentially to not repent. Right, so he wouldn't be crying. He'd just say, well, that was that was God's will, our will, my will, you know, it's God. Mm-hmm. So, you know, big deal. No, it broke his heart. He, yeah. what, Jesus wept. I mean, there's two times in the Bible we see him weeping. When he, Lazarus' tomb, Jesus wept, and then we see him weeping over men and women in a city who refused to respond to God reaching out to them wow. to say, I want to save you. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, to me, is a powerful picture. And, and I think as we look at that powerful picture, as we see that Jesus has died for all, um, like we said, belief has impact on how we behave. And so, for one, we see the the true weight of the cross, um, that Christ isn't just bearing the sins of the elect. Um, he's bearing the sins of the whole world. Um, and, and I don't think that we, we talk about that enough, but what an agonizing death for God to not only be on a cross— but he knew why he was up there, that he wasn't just a man dying. He was a sacrifice, and he was bearing not his own sin because he was sinless. And and now, not just the sins of a limited amount of humanity, the sins truly of the whole world. He bore that whole weight for us. Well, John the Baptist saw Jesus the first time and pointed at him and, and just yelled aloud with a loud voice, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that's all the way through. There's that concept mm-hmm. that he is the one who's carrying the sin of the world, yeah. making provision so that if we respond to the gospel, his initiative by his grace through faith, because that's the only way you're saved. For by grace you're saved through faith. It's there. It's possible. Mm-hmm. You know, for all men to be saved. Yeah, I think it's just, it's just that beautiful <laughs> picture of Christ taking away, you know, making a way. Uh, and, and bearing the sense even of the men who crucified him, that if they would come to faith, he would forgive them too. He would save them too. Um, it's a beautiful picture. To in God's desire for all people to be saved through his cross that covers everyone's sins and through the, the clear scripture that says he wants everyone to be saved, this should fuel our evangelism. Um, and and, and I, don't, I don't want to keep going back to it, um, most Calvinists now, especially a lot of modern Calvinists, they don't they don't deny and say that you shouldn't evangelize. Now they have to kind of work that into their theology. They say God's called us to evangelize. We're going to still be obedient. But there have been some people who have, I mean, just like hyper gone with Calvinism and said if God selected people to be saved, we don't have to evangelize. Um, I would say that what this does is very very clearly, without having to, um, you know just work some things out. It's God died for the sins of all. He has clearly stated God desires all men to come to this, this knowledge of salvation to be saved. Therefore we should go out and evangelize because at the end of the day, it's on, it's, it's on us to bring that word to them, to preach the word to the world, to our neighborhoods, to our communities. This fuels evangelism without um, the safety net of just saying, well, God selected them, so if we don't do it, he'll find another way. It's, um, you know, who, who else is going? It's on us. Well, and it is. And, I mean, again, and we're going we're gonna to tiptoe back and forth over this line. And, yeah. and so we gave this caveat at the beginning, and we're going to try to really stay true to it. 
It, it's hard. It's hard but to what, not reference the other, though our point is not to like right, just keep going. But back. it gives a comparison. Yeah. So more than anything for us, it's not we're not being apologetic. We're just making comparisons. Um, I remember I was in a graduate level class I took, and um, I had to read a book that was a reformed theology book about evangelism, and it was a it was a very fascinating book to me that I had to read, uh, which was great because it helps me to understand the other side mm-hmm. that I that, that I disagree with. Um, and it was a very it seemed to me like the author had a really hard time trying to write the book. I think you read the same book if yeah, I remember yeah. in your undergraduate. Um, it was just you look like the author had a really hard time trying to justify this concept when you have limited atonement, but why should I evangelize? You know, the argument was, well, okay, so there are certain people, this is their thought, that um, are, you know, are predestined to be saved, but they got to still hear the gospel. So that's our job is to preach. And then whoever, whoever the ones are that are predestined, they'll hear it and they're the ones that will get saved. Okay, well, that, that fits. And then they make mm-hmm. that fit. I still think that you go back, though, to that wider picture that we've spent a lot of time here saying is, but that's not what the Scripture says to us, is it's not just for a select few, it's for it's for everybody. Mm-hmm. And so you never get this clear picture, and that's what for me is you never get this clear picture that I'm supposed to preach the gospel or witness to people hoping that I'm going to hit the the select group. Mm-hmm. The, the, rather, the images of God loving, for God so loved the world. I mean, there's just too much, too many scriptures that sees sees God trying to redeem human. All of this gets back to um, we're all made in the image of God. Remember, remember, we did the episode mm-hmm. in the image of God. Um, it's God redeeming those he, who he's, he he loves and has created in His image to restore that image. So you see how all this theologies we say, let's talk about God, all comes back in together. But, I mean, we have this call to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Yeah. I think Mark said that, preach the gospel to every creature. So it's not just to a select few. We, we've got to evangelize. Yeah. And we've got the, you know, the gospel is supposed to go forth around the whole world. Uh, and which is the call of, of the scriptures. So yeah, yeah, evangelism. This is a this is a thrust that if anybody can be saved, uh, then we've got to preach the gospel for those who you know make that decision to be saved. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and as we move on, so now we've talked about total depravity, which is that um, God has to initiate us in salvation, but we didn't talk about how He did that. We just know. Um, that on our own, on our own, we can't choose God, and we know that with unlimited atonement, um, God desires to save everyone. That He's um, made a way to save everyone, and so now we have to decide if we are totally depraved, so we can never choose God on our own, and yet Christ died for the sins of the world, and says that He wants all people to be saved. Um, what do we do next? Because if we're totally depraved and we can't choose God, God has to step in some way, not just through the cross, but to wake us up to see this truth. And so this is what has been historically called prevenient grace. Um, this is what John Wesley, um, he really talked about. Um, he really focused on this prevenient grace. This is an old English word. It really just means preceding grace, the grace that goes before. And so what this doctrine is saying, it's saying that the world is depraved and can't choose God on their own. 
But God desires for all people to be saved. He paid for them on the cross if they would just accept him. So how is God going to help humanity um, awake up from that slumber and see him and have a measure of free will restored to either choose or reject him is through this grace that goes before in which God reveals himself to us, gives us a little bit of that free will and says, either choose me or don't choose me. We see this in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, um, speaking of depravity. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And so breaking through that, um, this is one of the more popular ones. In John 6, 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. But praise God for John 12, 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And so Jesus is telling us nobody, nobody can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And yet he's saying, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Nobody can come to God unless he draws them. But God is drawing all people. And so how does that play out in in actuality and practicality? How does that work out? How does God begin to draw people to himself? Hey there, we hope you're enjoying the episode today. We just wanted to take a break and let you know about some resources that you can use if you want to further your understanding of Wesleyan Arminian salvation, uh, the idea of salvation in that perspective, and how you can go deeper in this topic. There are a few amazing resources out there. So I'm just going to name off several books that you can purchase that um, may challenge you but are easy enough to read and are short enough to get through in about a week or two and to really learn from them. One of them is Classical Arminianism, The Theology of Salvation by F. Leroy Fourlines. Um, Here he goes into some of the deep topics and arguments about um, grace, free will, Um, and how God has saved us. Um, Another one that is similar to this where he goes into just the the deep theological background, uh, tackles some specific texts in the Bible. And this is probably my favorite. The one I would recommend the most is Grace, Faith, and Free Will by Robert E. Piccirilli. This book is fantastic. If you are looking to get a deep, read, um, but still understandable on why we believe that God restores a measure of free will and why we believe in conditional election. This book does it. It explains it in a deep, understandable, and theological way. A couple other books to help you, especially understanding um, Arminius and Wesley, um, is a book called Arminian and Baptist, and this is by J. Matthew Pinson, and this sort of gives a background of the various theologians throughout history who believe what we believe and how they arrive there. So you get a mixture of history and theology. And then finally, there's one um, that I am... I am currently reading, so um, I don't want to. I don't want to recommend it too early. But if you want to read along with me, so far I have enjoyed it, and I know that um, this is a well-respected work. It's called "The Theology of John Wesley: 
Holy Love and the Shape of Grace by Kenneth J. Collins. And here he tackles all of what John Wesley believed, um, not just in regards to salvation and predestination, but if you want to learn more about what John Wesley believed, that um, is an excellent resource so far as I'm reading it. And finally, we want to give you one last book. Um, This is actually by a Church of God theologian. The title is Unconditional Eternal Security, Myth or Truth by French Arrington. French Arrington is a Church of God theologian. He is a well-respected thinker, and um, Dad actually used that in preparation for our podcast today. So we want to go ahead and recommend that book as well. So feel free to dive into any of those books um, to get a deeper understanding. All of them are um, easy enough to read. They are very accessible, and I believe that you'll benefit a lot from them. All right, let's get back to the podcast. I remember reading um, a book by Chuck Colson. Oh, the title escapes me. It's one of the first books. Maybe it was Born Again. So I guess maybe it was his first book he wrote, Born Again. Uh, Chuck Colson was uh, like a special counsel to Richard Nixon and the, in the whole Watergate scandal. He was found guilty of some things and actually went to prison. Uh, came, and while in prison, came to Christ. But he was... Boy, he was like, he was hardcore. He was the bulldog, hard-nosed guy that that Nixon utilized. He would he would deal with stuff. You mm-hmm. know, he was the front guy that would deal with stuff. So, I mean, he was tough. Just And he says that one day he was out on a boat. The sun was shining, the clouds, the birds. Were, he was out on the boat, and he said for a, for a fleeting moment, he never forgot this. He he was not. He didn't believe in God. He didn't serve God. He was a reprobate. He was tell you, he was just a reprobate, a foul man. And he said that just for a moment, there was this moment, and he re- realized later, after he became born again, that what happened was he had a God moment where God took the initiative, and standing on that boat, he just realized there is a God. There there is a God. He and he said, I realized later that was God breaking through and using his creation, mm-hmm. general revelation, to show me something that I didn't even care about, didn't even think about. So God can use you know, creation to open up our eyes to say there is a God, and then from there take us to there is salvation. He can, he, so you know, God has to take the initiative, but we just talked about evangelism, but God can take that initiative through speaking to someone, mm-hmm. through someone, like if you and I are witnessing to someone who isn't saved, Sometimes it's just the Holy Spirit convicting them, dealing with them. Of course, it always has to be Holy Spirit conviction. So he can convict them and deal with them and draw them that way. Mm -hmm. They can hear a song on the radio. They can see somebody do a good work, and it just affects them. Mm -hmm. Um, It can be a movie, you know, like a Christian movie. God can use—the thing is, there are any innumerable ways uh, that God can take, and, you know, it doesn't have to just be this voice— from heaven, you know, speaking yeah. to you, come to me and be saved. You know, <laughs> it's just God has all these varieties of ways. He knows us. He knows how we're made. So he knows how to take that initiative. And and you'll know it when it happens. So then then you're 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 enabled at that moment to respond. And that's that's the key moment is then what are you gonna do? Are you gonna say nope? And and yeah. that's happened many times. 
And then are you going to say yes? Yeah. I think um, I love what you just said. That um, There's some scriptures that just came to mind that I actually had written down. You talked about we're going to, you know, maybe evangelize or preach to somebody. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul encourages us to go and preach because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Um, um, uh, Jesus said that um, uh, we know the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so we talked about the Holy Spirit working through all of this. It's the Spirit that convicts the world through a variety of different ways. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is that light revealing um, to us who he is. And I think um, one of the most clear stories of just going out, just evangelizing, just preaching in a wise way to specific groups of people is in Acts chapter 16, Paul is led by the Holy Spirit. So once again, it's faith-filled, you know, Christ-honoring believers listening to the voice of God, being obedient. He's led to go to this certain city, and he begins preaching to this very, very small Jewish crowd there. And as he begins preaching, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit actually opened up the heart of Lydia, a woman there, to pay attention to what Paul was saying. And so it says that she could pay attention, which I love that, that it wasn't like God forced Lydia to be saved. God um, you know, moved on her and she had to respond. He just opened up her heart to pay attention to what Paul said. And later she got saved. And we believe that it is through her and through her house that the first church, the city is blanking, but in that city that she could be saved. Mm -hmm. And so we see God opening up hearts, helping us to pay attention, working through um, just men and women going out to spread that good news. Um, You know, other times we see Paul was very deliberate um, because he knew God would work through certain ways. Whenever Paul went through to a new town, he would always start with the Jewish crowd first. And so as Paul began to evangelize, he would show up to a synagogue, and he would argue from the Old Testament because he was a genius and would break open the Old Testament and show how Christ has fulfilled all of these prophecies. But when he was in Athens, those people hadn't, they didn't care about the Old Testament. They didn't even know the Old Testament. Mm-mm. So he argued from a common viewpoint of a, of a belief in God. They all, they believed in a ton of different gods. So he found a particular altar to the unknown God and said, I can tell you that known God, and then began to just witness to them. And I think, Evan, what you're saying there shows that on our responsibility in evangelism is to try to use wisdom, Mm -hmm. to try to consider the context, and to try to um, build relationships. We could just talk about all those things. But ultimately, what we're saying today with Provenient Grace is God's going to have to open their heart. Yep. God's going to have to open their eyes. God's going to have to help them. That's what mm-hmm. grace is. It's divine help, free help from God, unmerited, unearned. So God's going to have to enable them, just like Chuck Colson had that moment where all of a sudden, boom, something's happening in my old dead soul. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just having an awareness of God. I'm having an awareness of what God can do for me. That's And that's why the, the, the gospel... Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And so you preach the gospel, but man, unless God, how many times have people, you've heard the stories of people who sat in church for weeks, months, or even years, and they heard the gospel time and time and time again, left the church unsaved, unmoved, living in sin, and then they came one Sunday, and it was the time. It was the day of salvation for them, and God 
pricked their heart and the Holy Spirit convicted them and that prevenient grace, that enabling grace, all of a sudden they became keenly aware that there is a God and I'm in sin and I'm dying and going to hell and I'm not going to heaven and I need to be saved. And suddenly all this came came to life, not just light, but life in them, but it was for the sake of what a decision, point mm-hmm. of decision. What are you going to do? Are you going to accept me or reject me? And... Um, and and uh, and so that it, it takes the work of God. I yeah, mean, it just it takes that that work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I remember one of the first times that I I was at my grandfather's church. Not tell the whole story, but uh, I was with a singing group. We sang, and then um, the Lord had dealt with me to preach. I never preached before. I didn't call myself a preacher, but I, I guess it was the closest thing at that point that I had would come to preaching prior to you know what I thought was really my true call. And so I spoke on Isaiah 6 and um, gave gave the congregation what the Lord gave me, gave an altar call, nobody moved. I thought, okay. And I turned it back over to my grandfather's, his church, and he closed the service out. And uh, my friends in the, in, that we sang with, they went back to Greenville. I was in Gastonia, North Carolina. And I went to my grandfather's house, spent the day with my grandparents. I'm sitting in the chair, and I thought, man, if this is preaching, it's not for me. <laughs> I That's thought, funny. okay, I'm not a preacher, which is funny because now, now I am 30 years, 30 plus years I've been preaching. But at that point, I thought, okay, boy, I'm, that's not for me. So I went to church that night. Uh, my grandfather preached, and this guy goes to the altar and gets saved. And as soon as he gets up from the altar, committing his life to Christ, he makes a beeline to me. And he said, young man, because I think I was like a teenager, I was 18, something, mm-hmm. whatever. He said, young man, he said, I was here this morning when you preached. And he said, I trembled under conviction while you preached. He said, I gripped the pew in front of me, but I wouldn't come. But he said, I had to come back to church tonight. And he said, your grandfather preached, and I couldn't stand it. And I came to the altar, and I gave my life to Christ. But he said, I just thought you'd want to know that. Wow. Which probably for me was a good thing to, you know, for God to help me to say, no, you are called to preach. Yeah. But my point is, um, and maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves when we talk about That's okay. you know what we've got to do the decision. Yeah. But but the point is that man had an awakening moment. Mm-hmm. You know, and it wasn't me and my feeble attempt, very feeble, very yeah. feeble, very feeble attempt. But God has to do the work. I, I was looking at the scripture, Evan, of Second Timothy two twenty five. Mm-hmm. Paul was praying, and he prayed that God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. So God has to grant that to mm-hmm. them. So we were talking about all these things where God's drawing people, God granting them. Again, you can just see these words that are about the, the initiative. Um, 2 Thessalonians 2.14, to which God called you by our gospel. Yeah. So, so do you see that? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm preaching the gospel, but I'm not doing the calling. God's doing the calling. Yeah. So I can preach all day the gospel, but if— you're hearing my call, but if you don't hear God calling you, that that's when it happens. Yeah. Then 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 um then you make the choice. Yeah. And and I would just say, and I think this is what we're getting at, but just to just to clearly state it, for those of you who are listening, never stop evangelizing and never stop doing it in a variety of ways. Because what we're saying is at the end of the day, it's God who has to do the work. And so you don't need a degree, you don't have to be a skilled preacher. You don't have to, you know, go to seminary. You don't have to do anything like that because at the end of the day, um, it's it's not you who's doing the work. It's it's God. Now, I think Scripture says that we should be wise. Ne- you know, never stop learning the Bible. Practice how to evangelize. 
um, you know, reference books and booklets. Like, do everything you can to be knowledgeable. I'm not saying, you know, don't prepare yourself, but at the end of the day, don't put pressure on yourself because one, it's God who has to do the work, and two, it's them, the the person you're evangelizing to, that has to accept them at the end of the day. And so, you know, just go out there, stay focused, stay evangelizing. Um, Paul, um, as smart as he was from what we understand from Scripture, wasn't a good preacher as far as a good orator. Um, he he kind of got clowned on. It wasn't by the Corinthian church that they like they didn't think he was very good. <laughs> One time somebody died. He was preaching late at night, went long, and a guy fell out of a window and died. Paul had to go raise him up. Yeah, I think I'd quit. <laughs> he was long winded. <laughs> so you know, as far as as far as that goes, you know, they there's a I think it was the Corinthian church. They liked Apollos because Apollos, man, he was probably. Pentecostal. He was probably yelling, and he was good, and he was, you know, really engaging or or whatever. But, but at the end of the day, it was the Spirit who worked through Paul. And so, keep going, keep pressing, um, keep using whatever you can, because at the end of the day, it's it's the Lord's work. Well, we have a guy in our church named Brad, and he worked with another man in our church named David. Now, David's died and gone on to be with the Lord, but for two years, David witnessed to Brad every day at work invited him to church, talked to him about the Lord. Brad said, I don't want to have anything to do with it. So his heart was closed. His spirit was dead, but he didn't give up. And then in, after two years, I think David invited him to a church event. Brad finally came, heard the gospel. God used that moment and saved him. And Brad's, when he got saved, his next words to David were, thank you for not giving up on me. Wow. So you you can't give up. See, you don't know when... God's going to use you, and, and and more importantly, we don't know when God is going to deal with that person because mm-hmm. that's what it is. It's God dealing with them, enabling them, but he uses We get to partner with God. Yeah, we do. That's cool. Yeah, it is. What, what was it? And help me if I'm taking this out of context. Paul said he he planted Apollos water, watered, but God made it grow. God gives the increase. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, it's the work of God. That's right. Well, um, that is that is prevenient grace that God opens up our heart. He restores that that measure of free will that He allows us to make that decision. But if it wasn't, you know, for Him stepping in, we could not choose. And and ultimately, I, I know I mentioned this earlier. Um, that makes grace resistible. Um, I, I think you talked about about it earlier. Jesus mourned over Jerusalem. Um, he said, "How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing." Right. God calls. God opens up that heart. He doesn't just leave us in the dust. And yet, um, to maintain our humanity, to maintain us being a person which has a measure of free will, in order for God to be just. So he's not going to dangle salvation or call us to repentance, but never enable us to do that. Um, in order for God to remain just, he al- He gives us that ability to repent, but he doesn't force us into it. You, you have the ability to repent. You also have the ability to, to reject. reject. Yeah. And, and one of the key issues, again, so here we're going to tiptoe over that line again. Um, Calvinism really stresses the sovereignty of God. Uh, then what's what's often argued is that Wesleyan, Wesleyan Armenian thought weighs heavy on the free will. It, that it becomes almost man-centered theology. Right, that you're always, in which we don't believe that, at mm-hmm. least we don't, you and I don't, that it's that you're saved by your works, Mm-mm. okay, so that's something we do. Uh, but there are conditions in the Bible, and I guess we're going to talk about that after a while, but 
but if 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 you are a free moral agent, some say, or you you have a free will, or a, you have the ability to to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. If you just want to keep, some people struggle with the word free. Okay, if you just want to say God made us with the ability to make decisions, to say yes or no. Here's the case. If so, if you have that, if you have that ability to accept salvation, then you also have the ability to reject salvation. Okay, and mm-hmm. that's that's what makes us. Um, who we are as human beings. I mean, from the beginning, God put Adam in the garden, and if that ability is not important, then why the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and why the command not to touch it? Because you 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 you're talking about having morals and ethics. I mean, morals and ethics have to do with do's and don'ts, and and do you do what you're supposed to do, or and do yeah. you refrain from what you're not supposed to do? That's that gets into morality. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Ten Commandments are about do's and don'ts. So I have to make a decision, and I think it, it, that's what we're talking about here. And so you you can resist. Yeah. Um, you can say no. Um, uh, and it's it's not irresistible. Yeah. That's that's our whole point. Is I because if you're predestined, then it's irresistible. You're going to get saved whether you want to. You or have not. to. Yeah. And I think that makes you. Uh, a robot, yeah, and and that God did create robots. He created people made in His image mm-hmm. that He wanted to choose, and He still does. He He wants you and I to choose to love Him and serve Him, mm-hmm. to respond to His initiative, and say yes, yes, Lord. Yeah, and I, and I think ultimately it it allows God to stay just, um, so that Jesus is not coming and calling the world to repentance, um, but not enabling you to do that. Um, and then judging you for not accepting him or having faith in him. Um, now we are obviously we're all sinners. We're all born sinners. All born guilty. But still, then you know it, it would be wrong for God to add that to your track record to say you didn't accept me on the earth if He didn't ever enable you to do it. It, it would be wrong. Um, and so uh, to to have to deal with that, I feel like it gets really complicated to mm-hmm. have to try and you know, join those two together. And so I, I think that's why that makes the most sense. And naturally, we get on to the last section of part one um, of this podcast, which is conditional election. And so this is just the idea that you have to meet the condition of faith in order to be saved. Once again, John 3.16, I mean, you know, that, that for God so loved the world, whoever would believe in him. I mean, it's as simple as that. It's belief. Um, Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. That God has chosen through those measures, right, um, that you're going to be saved in those ways. And so I, I think as we, I mean, we could name a thousand scriptures, so we're just going to kind of, you know, that's why we only listed a few, but um, it's the idea that you are saved through faith, meeting that condition. And as we've seen by everything else, um, that's a choice that you can make. Yeah, I mean, God wants to save all men, uh, and the Holy Spirit is going to convict. He's going to call... Um. Uh. But, but you know, you you have to respond. 
you know, and you respond only by faith. And from the beginning of of creation, it's always been that way. Mm-hmm. Always been that way is that you are saved by grace through faith. I mean, Adam and Eve had to believe God's that God killing the animals and covering them would be sufficient to cover or atone for their sins. And then the next generation had to believe that, the next generation that God set up this sacrificial system, all pointing to the time when Jesus would come. Now we look back and we have faith in the Jesus who has come. And in reality, uh, what Wesley taught, since we're just throwing his name around here, um, was that even even sin was a breach of faith because um, you know Satan got them to to buy into a lie that God wouldn't be faithful, that He's He's deceiving them. You know that that He knows if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you'll be just like Him. That God is lying to you. That you can't trust Him to be sufficient to provide for you. That He's doing what's good for you. It's a breaking of faith that God is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he's going to do. They didn't trust him anymore because no. faith isn't just belief. Belief is confidence or trust as well, and they lost their confidence in God by the, the lie of the devil. They mm-hmm. didn't trust him anymore, and and so, um, yeah, and then they made the wrong choice. Yeah. Exactly. So as we see um, you know, faith take part, there, there are a few scriptures that— um, can kind of throw us off. Like, for instance, Romans eight twenty nine through 30, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Uh, I think a lot of times we look at that and we see that word predestined and um, we get really kind of freaked out because we think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just said all of those scriptures. You said that this was supposed to be built on faith. What's going on here? Well, you've got to look at the order, um, which is for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. See, God in his foreknowledge or his ability to see ahead, because God stands outside of time, God's not limited by time and space, he knows the choice that you're going to make. And so based on his foreknowledge that you would meet the condition of faith, he predestined you to look like Jesus. Yeah, And can I address that? Because I think this scripture, if there are ever three scriptures that get misunderstood it it's these two mm-hmm. and Romans 828 yeah. and we know that all things work together for good to then they're called and you know, so and people will twist that so something bad happens well God's working all that for your good and so that scripture really gets blown out yeah. of the wall. it's not that's not what it means this scripture as well for those he foreknew he predestined it doesn't say to be saved it says to be conformed to the image of his son. You go back to what we talked about in in the Garden of Eden, at, uh, Evan, when we talked about how Adam sinned and the image of God was shattered, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus comes as a second Adam to restore that image. And that image now is not where the, the image of God, you know, it says the main image of God. Now with the revelation of God the Son, we understand it even deeper is it is the it is the image of God through in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So I'm to be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's what's been predestined. The the predestination is the result of those who meet the condition of faith. Of being and of being saved. Yeah. I mean, I can't be conformed to the image of Jesus if I'm not saved. Yeah. So that's what's predestined. So you can't say that this is this is a predestination about People are predestined to be saved, and some pre that that doesn't even say that. Mm-hmm. What it says is, for those God foreknew, He predestined to be. That's the plan. Every if you're going to be saved, if you're going to be, if you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what God's going to do. 
You're going to spend the rest. He's going to spend the rest of your life trying to make you less like you and more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. The fruit of the Spirit, even the gifts of the Spirit, so that when people look at you, they see Jesus. They don't see you anymore. That's his goal. Now, how do I know that? Because look what it says. Um, and that he might be the firstborn for those he predestined, okay, to ultimately, ultimately mm-hmm. become like Jesus. No, wait a minute, back up. He called. So see, that goes back to what we talked. So you can't be conformed to the image of Jesus unless you're first called. Yeah, brought by God, called to God. So yeah. what we just talked the about earlier, grace. that provenient grace, and those he called, he justified. I can't be conformed to the image of Jesus until I'm saved. Yep. So those he justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. Now, I'm not going to be totally like Jesus until I get to heaven, mm-hmm. and I'm in a glorified body, and then that which is perfect will come. Yeah. According to 1 Corinthians 13. So, yeah, you're right. This People take this and say, well, that's about predestination. No, it's not. I mean, it is. It but, is about predestination. But it's about something else way. that's yeah. predestined. Yeah. Right. And that is I'm predestined. Once I'm saved, what's my plan? What's God's plan? Yeah. God's plan for me. What all things work together for good. For what? Look at the next verse to make me like Jesus. Yeah. So good things, bad things, up things, down things, mountains, valleys. God's using all that for what purpose? To make me like Jesus. Yep. His plan from the beginning of of the world is for you to be called, to be justified, and to be restored in the image of God. So based on his foreknowledge, if you meet that condition of faith, if you trust in him, God's plan for eternity was to restore you back to how he originally made you, which is in a whole and complete image of God. And that's why he says that he glorified us, which we'll see in a fuller, truer reality when Jesus comes back is that we will be glorified like Jesus, that we're being made in the image of the Son of God. Exactly. That is God's plan for salvation, for us, for eternity. Yeah, that's and it. Finally, we see 1 Peter 1, 1 through 2, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Once again, those who are elect, it is according to the foreknowledge of God, God's knowledge that you would accept him, his look into the future, everything that he has for you is based on him knowing that you would accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so, as we look at that, um, here's what we can see. Here, here's what we conclude. A lot of times, and we were talking about this earlier, um, Arminianism and especially Wesleyan Arminianism, because Wesley, um, like us, you know, talked about holiness a lot. He said that you have to be a Christian. Um, you have to live right to be a Christian. Um, but here's some clarification. Salvation is dependent on the condition of faith. It is not um, works. It's not on... Um, you know, impressing God. It's not a man-based theology. Um, we just saw that, you know, those whom he predestined, he also called. And we talked about prevenient grace, that if you're going to be saved, God has to initiate the work, and we have to respond in faith. And so I think so often this gets called um, a works-based theology, but I think the best way to look at it is almost like a, like a beggar just holding out his hands to receive some bread. The beggar's not doing work. The beggar didn't work for the gift. He didn't contribute to the gift. He's just holding out his hands to receive something he didn't work for at all. Mm. And so as we take a look at this, salvation is still only based on faith. It has to be initiated by God. And when we accept, 
It's simply us holding out our hands saying, yes, Lord, I accept your free gift. Yeah, and where the conflict might come in is that in, in, in the holiness movement, which you and I are part of, and what Wesley argued was that once you're saved, then the condition, the requirement, the command um, is that you live a holy life, that you live above sin, that you don't go back into sin. And sometimes that gets where that's where it gets sticky with people and saying, so now you're saying the only way I can remain saved is that I have to live holy. Now, now it's my works. Well, you can't live holy on your own. I think at the end of the day, just to clarify, when we use the word condition, your salvation is always, always, always. based on the condition of faith. For by grace you're saved through faith. But at the end of the day, if you have faith, the works naturally must follow. Then you get into the entire book of James. We're just doing. Faith, faith without works is, is dead. dead. So your faith is nothing mm-hmm. if you're not if you're not showing it in how you your your faith should then result in works that are that is an expression of that faith because the just shall live by faith. Well, Jesus said that you'll you'll know. I'm just paraphrasing here, but my followers by their fruit. Your fruit reveals the root. <laughs> oh, would you like that? Right. The fruit reveals the root. Uh, but at the end of the day, if if you truly have faith in Christ. If we believe that you've, like Peter said, um, you, you've been given sanctification by the Spirit, you can't have faith in who Christ is and not be rebuilt in the image of God, which results in your works. Right. So you're not upheld by, and we're going to talk about this actually next episode. Exactly. And we're we'll giving you a little taste, but um, yeah, it, it's it's always upheld by faith. Um, but look, that is part one of our discussion of Wesleyan Arminian salvation. Um, I, I hope that this has been practical for you. I hope that this has been helpful for you. I hope that this has shined some light on um, what this belief system is and what the scriptures actually say. So we just want to encourage you check out part two in just a couple of weeks and um, see us finish this discussion. We're going to be talking about, like we just gave you um, just a little preview, we're going to be talking about um, is salvation based on works after you're saved? Is it upheld by works or faith? How are we secure in Christ? And how can we be assured that we have faith? So if you've ever struggled, maybe you're currently struggling with wondering, am I saved? Am I still saved? Does God still love me? Tune in next week for an excellent episode, or excuse me, two weeks from now for an excellent episode on that. Well, as always, if you would go ahead and subscribe to our podcast, rate us, write a review so that this word can can get out more about the podcast. Send a link to somebody you know, to a friend, to a family member, to a coworker. Get this out there. We've heard of, maybe we talked about this a few podcasts ago, but we've heard of one person who um, he plays the podcast for his coworkers in the drive, um, you know, in the car. So force somebody to listen to it if you can. Force your kids, force your friends. I don't, you know, we don't care how you do it. Just get the message out there. Uh, but yeah, we will see you in a couple of weeks.